Okay, I'm assuming you guys can all see that. Um, or let me see. Okay, I'm, I'm assuming you guys can all see that. Um, so today's title, today's sermon is called Wisdom in Pursuing Our Hopes and Dreams. Um, for all of us, I'm sure we all have hopes and dreams in our life. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be an astronaut. I thought it was possible after I read a children's book, and I thought, hey, maybe I could be an astronaut. Um, that was really dumb of me. <laughs> when I was a teenager, I wanted to dunk a basketball. I thought that that was possible. Um, I wanted to learn how to do a kickflip with a skateboard. Uh, never learned how to do that. Um, in high school, I wanted to be a starter on the volleyball varsity team. That was one of my hopes. Um, and I wanted to get into UCLA as a high school student. I thought, wow, uh, I want to be a Bruin. I want to uh, be part of GOC. I want to eat in the amazing calf every day. Uh, when I was in high school, um, when I grew up, I thought, I don't want to marry an Asian girl. I want to marry a white girl. Um, I want to have a, a diverse family. Um, uh, that didn't happen, but I'm supremely happy. Um, when I was in college, I wanted to figure out my career. Um, I wanted to date in college. I actually wanted to um, act in musicals, um, but I, I knew I could never sing. I just liked the idea of acting. I wanted to learn how to play cello. Um, and when, when I was in seminary, I wanted to get married. I, I wanted to start working. I wanted to have a family. Um, and now that I'm here, that I am married, I am settled down, I have a job, I look to the future and, you know, I like a house. I, I like a family in the future with, you know, kids running around. I, I, I want to be a dad someday. I think that's something that, um, one of my hopes and dreams right now. And so these are some of my hopes and dreams, um, at this point. And I'm not sure if actually a lot of my dreams didn't come true. <laughs> Uh, and I'm not sure if my dreams in the future, that'll come true either. Um, and let me ask you, what are some of your hopes and dreams? Is there something you're trying to accomplish in life? Maybe you're a junior high student or a high school student. Um, are there certain classes you wanna take? Are there certain uh, clubs you wanna join? Certain positions you want to be accepted by? Certain colleges to go, go to? Maybe certain careers to pursue? Maybe a certain future, a certain job have a, a certain type of family. And I'm sure many of us have hopes and dreams. I think that's part of uh, being human. It's very normal to plan for the future. But what if I told you there was a common, there are a lot of common mistakes that you and I often make when we plan for the future, when we pursue our hopes and dreams. There is something that we often forget and often we look foolish when we forget um, this thing when we're planning for the future. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what the message is about today in the book of James. Remember James, he writes this letter to Jewish Christians, and they were poor Jewish Christians. Some of them were farmers, and uh, they experienced anxiety. And so they worried, a few, they worried about the future like you and I. And so they struggled to trust in God like you and I. And so God speaks through James in this letter and addresses how they should think and plan for the future. And that's what we're gonna unpack today. Here's my preview of my sermon, that there is something that the fool always forgets to do when he plans for the future. We're gonna find out what that is. And on the second hand, there is something that the wise person remembers to do when he plans for the future. And we're gonna talk about that as well. 
And so these are the two main points that I want to address today. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Give you a second to turn there. I know some of you guys have electronic Bibles. That's fine. Uh, paper Bibles are awesome too because it's nice to see the study notes, to hold something in your hand. So I'm always a fan of paper Bibles. I'll give you a second to turn to James chapter 4. Okay, I'm going to read, we're going to read today four verses and we're going to unpack that. So James chapter 4 verses 13 to 17. All right, if you're there, um, follow along as I read it out loud. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Stop there. So these are the four verses we're going to unpack today. And we're gonna look at point one, the fool forgets something. Um, so my next slide, the fool forgets something. And verse 13, James is addressing what the fool forgets. James gives the example of an active businessman. During this time period, com uh, commercial activity and trade, uh, this was a growing uh, business. This was a growing industry. People would leave their hometowns. Uh, they would settle in cities throughout the Mediterranean world in order to trade and make money. And that's pretty normal. And this happens today. Imagine a traveling business person who maybe relocates to Texas for a job. Uh, no taxes there, bigger property. Everything's bigger in Texas and they hope to earn a nice salary and make decent money and live in a nice, nice house. What could be so wrong about this? Now, to be clear, it's not wrong to earn money. It's not even wrong to earn a lot of money. And it's not wrong to plan for the future. You might be asking, well, what's wrong then? What is wrong is that James is condemning a self-confidence that leads you to think that you can determine the course of future events and success. Someone who thinks that they can just assume what the future will be like and assume that they'll be good. This imaginary businessman that James talks about, he says things like, we're going to go to this city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to trade and we're going to make money. It would be like if you said, you know what? You know, I know my good grades. I see the A's in my report card. I know how involved I am in, in clubs and my uh, service at church. I know that I'm part of the sport and maybe band. Uh, this will for sure get me, get some attention from the top colleges. I mean, there's no way I can get rejected from the college that I want. Maybe I won't get the very top college, but you know, if I can get second or third, you know what, I'm happy with that. I know for sure my resume is gonna uh, catch the attention of certain colleges. And this in a sense is what it might be like if we were to translate that to a student context, because this at the core, it's a blind arrogance to think that somehow you and I can determine the future and the outlook so easily and so neatly. These are the words and actions of the fool 
And so the fool is forgetting this. The fool forgets that life is unpredictable, life is short, and life is fragile. Let's look at verse 14. James says, um, the foolish person makes assumptions about the future, but verse 14, James says this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, sometimes life can be so routine that sometimes it's easy to assume things about the future. Maybe this week just felt like a normal week. You know, I went to school at eight. We got out at 12. Some of us got out at four. We have homework after. I know the sun is going to rise in the morning and the sun is going to set in the afternoon. I know the mailman's going to drop off mail around 10 a.m. My mom usually cooks dinner around 5 p.m. Uh, it'll probably be fried rice. And so maybe it's easy to just assume things about the future. But James says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. James is referencing Proverbs 27.1, which also says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what the day will bring. Life is unpredictable. That's what James is saying. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. How can we be so sure we will live to see another day? How do you know you won't get into a car accident tomorrow on the freeway? How do you know that you'll for sure get into that college in the future how do you know you'll actually live to be 80, 90, or 100? Tomorrow is not guaranteed. In 2019, think about this. In 2019, did any of us actually know what 2020 would be like? None of us knew. But 2020 is the way it is. Life is unpredictable. There's nothing we can do to predict the future. And James also says that life, it's not just unpredictable, it's short and it's fragile. And he compares our life to a mist or smoke in some translations. So you ever go out on a cold morning and you breathe in the air and you see your breath and it, <clears throat> it quickly evaporates? That's what our life is like. Or if you cook eggs on a pan and you see the smoke rise and then it suddenly just disappears into nothing. James is saying that is your life. And so life is short and it's fragile. <coughs> excuse me. But this week felt so long, you might say. This week is going by so slow. It's only, finally, it's Friday. I felt like uh, my teacher's lecture was so long. Maybe I feel this sermon is long. I don't feel any offense towards that. Maybe life just feels really, really long sometimes. And you think, well, maybe the average person lives till they're 80 or 90. That sounds like a long time. But I want you to compare 80 years with an infinite amount of years. That sounds like a big difference. Maybe 80 years doesn't sound so big after all. Francis Chan, he uses this example. Uh, the dot and the rope, that's just what I'll call it. Uh, I don't know if he calls it that. But imagine uh, there's a dot, and imagine that there is um, a rope. I mean, it's an arrow, but pretend it's a rope. And this dot, it's confined to this a space on the screen or on your screen. And imagine this arrow, there's an arrow at the very end of this rope, Imagine that that arrow just extends into infinity, okay? Imagine that that arrow just extends off your screen, across your living room, out of your house, out of your neighborhood, out of your city, out of LA, out of California, out of America, out of the world, um, out of the Milky Way, and just went on forever. And Francis Chan says, imagine that this dot, it represents your time on earth. Let's say it's 80 years. It sounds like a long time, but compare it to 
this arrow which never ends. It represents eternity. Any normal person who sees this dot in this arrow would say, okay, 80 years is a lot on earth, but compared to infinity, it's really nothing. Life really is short and unpredictable. And so that's what James is basically saying. Life, it's unpredictable, it's short, and it's fragile. Again, I mentioned 2020 earlier, but just think about how this year went and you'll nod your head and you'll say, yeah, I agree. Looking at 2020, um, the history books, they're going to look back and they're going to see that this was a crazy year. Life really is unpredictable, short, and fragile. And I think we all remember that Sunday morning this past January, um, the start of when COVID didn't even hit yet, when we heard about the tragic news of Kobe Bryant uh, perishing in a helicopter uh, accident. And I remember it was so sad for so many of us because uh, we grew up watching Kobe. And we saw Kobe as someone who was um, almost invincible on the basketball court. If he got injured, if he dislocated his finger, he would walk off the court, go to his trainer, and his trainer would uh, physically, in that moment, um, uh, relocate his finger. And he'd go back into the game, and he would play. And he seemed so invincible on the court. I think that's why, for some of us, it was so shocking and sad for us to actually process how could someone like Kobe actually pass away. He had that mama mentality. And it really shook us. And it's still super, super sad. And I think that's something, death has a way of humbling us. Death has a way of showing how fragile we are and how unpredictable life is. And then right after Kobe's death, when March came around, that's when COVID got real um, in America and around the world. Classes, bands, sports, schools, graduations, prom, those are all canceled. Our normal summer events, halftime, youth retreats, YSMP, all canceled. Restaurants shut down. Everything happened. A month ago, the Bobcat Fire burned most of the, a lot of the Angeles Forest. Uh, people living in Arcadia or in those areas, some of us here were ready to evacuate our homes. And even two weeks ago, there was an earthquake that, I think Friday night, if you guys remember. Life is really unpredictable. Everything in 2020, 2020 should scream Life is short, it's fragile, it's unpredictable. You and I, we cannot control what happens. And that's scary for some of us. Only a fool fails to take this into account when they plan for the future. A fool forgets that life is short, fragile, and unpredictable. So what can we actually do? when we recognize this. I wanna put an application right here instead of the end as well, like I did last week. Here's some application questions I wanna ask you guys. The full forgets life is unpredictable, short and fragile. Here's a question I wanna ask you. Do you tend to think sometimes, oh, tragedies, it can happen to other people, but not me. I think young people, uh, I still put myself in that category. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that maybe we're invincible. We've got our whole life ahead of us. Uh, we're teenagers, we're in our 20s. Accidents, they can you know, happen to other people around the world. There can be tragedies to other people, but it can never really happen to me. I'm just a normal person. I'm healthy, I'm young. And this may lead you to say things like, you know, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. I'm not gonna get in a car accident. Like God's gonna protect me. Or I don't need to wear sunscreen. Like I'm not gonna get skin cancer. Or I don't need to wear a helmet. Like, am I really going to crash? Is God really going to take my life right now? Or this is the one that I, I use a lot. I don't need a floss. Like, my teeth are fine. Like, it'll be okay. 
And we need to slow down. James is telling us to slow down because pretty soon we'll begin to say, I don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need counselors telling me how to live my life. I can figure out my life on my own. So if you think that in some ways you're immune or invincible to death or to life, deep down, this is the attitude of a fool. This is arrogance and self-confidence. And you have to remember that life is short, fragile, and unpredictable. Second question I want to ask is, are you overly confident or constantly anxious about your future? And I put two attitudes. Some of us, maybe we're overly confident about the future. And maybe some of us are very proud of our academics. We, we know that we did really well in school. We know that our involvement in clubs and we're pretty certain like, you know what, like I did my time, like I've done my work. I, I, I'm pretty certain that life will be, um, it'll be hard, but it'll be good. Like I know it's got, it's figured out in the future. I've got this, this is all me. But on the other hand, some of us are super anxious about our future. We're really worried if we're good enough to get into college, if colleges will actually accept our resume and there's danger in both of these attitudes, whether we're overly confident or overly anxious. And the reason I say both is very concerning is because it's the same root problem, that our focus and obsession is still on earthly success to define our life. If you're confident that your future is in good hands and that you're gonna make a lot of money in the future, that you're viewing success as your salvation. On the other hand, if you're worried or anxious about the future, it reveals what your heart values. You might not be confident in yourself, but the fact that you worry constantly about if your grades are good enough, doesn't that reveal how much you love grades or success? How much you idolize that? Maybe in the same way, success is still your salvation. And so we have to be very careful how a confidence or anxious we are about the future. This will impact us in different ways. I had a friend in college. Um, he, he was a really fun friend. Uh, he, I really liked him, but he wasn't the hardest working uh, student. Uh, he was on the football team and he was a pretty good football player. And I remember one time that uh, he was, in a sense, not doing his best in school. Maybe he was slacking off. I don't remember that exact situation. And another friend said, hey, like, you got to go to class. You got to um, show up. You got to do your homework. Like you don't want to fail. And my friend, he really wants to go to the NFL and um, he said, Oh, it's okay. You know, I'll just go to the NFL and they'll take care of uh, everything. And he was a pretty good football player. So I wasn't necessarily like thinking he was crazy when he said that. Um, but I said, okay, well, I can't say anything. Like he's bigger than me. I don't want to punch me. <laughs> um, but turns out like he actually, uh, he made a practice squad for NFL. He actually made, the team. Um, I don't know if he was a starter and I thought, wow, he actually did it. Uh, is he actually going to become, will I see him on TV? Like, will I, uh, see him like on ESPN and news articles? Um, and so I was actually kind of surprised he made it, but I think a couple years later, injuries really impacted his career. And so he's no longer on a team. He's no longer on an NFL team. There is no multimillionaire contract. And I thought, wow, like if he could go back, and talk to his college self. I wonder what he would say. I wonder if he would ask his, his, 20, his college self to just pipe down and to 
uh, be more realistic about the future, to be humble that he didn't know what the future would look like. And so a lot of this, sometimes we have to be careful how confident or how sure we can be of the future. We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. And so we have to be careful that we do not become like the fool. The biggest problem in all of this is that, I don't know if you noticed, but God is not even in the equation. God is even, uh, he's, he's nowhere to be found. If you read the verse, the person planning for the future, he didn't even acknowledge God at all. And this is the real problem. And so this leads us to the second point. This is what the wise person is going to do. Um, so the wise person remembers something. What does he remember? Let's look at the next verse in verse 15. It says this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so this is what the wise person remembers. He remembers that God causes everything to happen according to his will. God causes everything to happen according to his will. This is what the wise person remembers. To be clear, it's not wrong to plan for your future. It's not wrong to make money. What is wrong is leaving God out of the equation. What is wrong is thinking that you are in control of your destiny, destiny and not God. This is wrong when you map out your life and you don't even include God in the future. You pray for, uh, all you pray about is for grades in school and you don't really talk to God about anything else. And it shows what we value. And so James says, when you do make plans, every Christian who ha- holds their hopes and dreams and plans in their, uh, in, in their hand, they should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, that is the key phrase. Anything that happens in life, it's because God willed it or God permitted it to happen. And this is what happens in the Bible. People like the Apostle Paul, when he was visiting uh, the people, uh, the church of Ephesus, the people there wanted him to stay. And he says to him in Acts 18, 21, I will return to you if God wills. Paul didn't know if his life would end on his next destination. Jesus himself in the Lord's prayer says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Anything that happens in life happens according to the will of God. If you want to be wise about your future, we need an attitude that says, God, I'm going to plan. I want to get to this college. I I want to join the sport. But at the end of the day, God, it's in your will. I know that everything that happens is according to your plan. Here's the problem, though. If God is in control of everything, what's the point of doing anything in life? Isn't that a natural question? Let's say God uh, already decided that I'm going to go to UCI. I didn't go there, but let's just say. What's the point of studying in school if God's plan is for me to already go to UCI? If God already chose someone to be saved, why should I care about being evangelistic? God's going to save that person anyways. This is a very real question that uh, a lot of Christians have asked throughout the centuries. And my uh, goal today is not to expand all of that, but I do want to touch upon, uh, touch upon it briefly because I think this is important for us to know. I, I want to touch upon a confusing tension 
between God's sovereign will, number one, and number two, human freedom. God's sovereign will and human freedom. This seems like they contradict one another. Um, but let me try to just explain it in maybe two or three minutes. And I know I'm not doing it justice, but I think it's important for us to understand um, God's sovereign will and human freedom. So God's sovereign will, basically it determines every detail in life. Every detail? Yes, <laughs> every detail. So the Bible talks about how God's will has influence over nature. Psalm 148 says that fire, hail, snow, frost, and wind fulfill God's command. It's not just science that causes the sun to rise in the morning. That is God commanding and causing the sun to rise in the morning. God's will determines that. God's sovereign will determines uh, animals and uh, what they do. Psalm 104 says that all animals look up to God to give them their food in due season. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that even our Heavenly Father feeds the birds in the air. So God's will provides for animals and everything that's living, even the gross ants in my house. God's sovereign will oversees significant events in history. Job 12.23 says that God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. So it's God who causes nations uh, by his will to act in the way that they do. God also, his will influences the everyday details of your life. Psalm 139 says, in your book was written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Meaning that before we, we were even born, before the world began to exist, God knew every detail about our life. And that was part of his will. He knew how much hair would be on your head. He would know your, your eye vision. He would know how tall you would be. He knows every thought in your head and he knows the decisions you're going to make. And lastly, God knows the random things that no one will care about. Proverbs 16.33 says that the lot or you know, a pair of dice in our modern context, that the lot is cast into the lap but the decision is wholly from the Lord. Meaning even random things like rolling a pair of dice that we think it's totally by chance, that's actually still under God's will. Even the random things that no one cares about, that no one even knows existed, that imagine somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, middle of nowhere, a fish is gonna jump out of the water and no one knows that happened. But God planned for that to happen. That somewhere in the North Pole, a penguin is going to be born. I just thought that in my head. No one knew that happened. No one probably knew that um, existed. But God, in his will, willed that to happen. So God's sovereign will determines every detail in life. And here's a question. Well, if it determines every detail in life, where is human freedom? Are we truly free? And this is the divine mystery that human freedom is still preserved. Human freedom is still preserved. Um, this next point is that humans can still make willing choices that have real consequences. Okay, if I smoke, which I won't and I don't, I will die sooner. If I eat Cheetos every day, which I sometimes do and I want to, I'll probably gain weight, but it's so good. So my consequences, I do desire 
and I can make those choices and they have real consequences. And so that's one. And number two, which is probably even more important, humans, we are so responsible for our actions. We are so responsible for our actions. Even though God's will causes things to happen, we are still responsible for our free choices. Isaiah 66, 3 4 says, These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. When I called, no one answered, but they did what was evil in my eyes, and they chose that in which I did not delight. And this shows that humans, they, on their own free will, choose the evil that offends God. Your mind might be hurting right now, like, how does this even make sense? And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I don't have the best explanation. In fact, the Bible says this is a divine mystery. It says God's ways are not our ways, but we can trust that these two concepts, God's sovereign will and human freedom, still coexist in harmony. I think this quote from a systematic theologian, it helps me um, grapple this a little bit better from uh, Wayne Grudem. Uh, he wrote a systematic theology book. He says this, um, it seems better to affirm that God causes all things that happen, but that he does so in such a way that he somehow upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices, choices that have real internal, concept, internal results and for which we are held accountable. Exactly how God combines his providential control with our willing and significant choices, scripture does not explain to us. And maybe for good reason. I'm not sure if we could wrap our heads around it. It would be like if I see an ant in my room and I'm trying to explain to the ant about the concept of gravity. No matter how I explain to that ant, they just cannot understand what I'm saying. And so in some ways, it is a divine mystery and we cannot fully comprehend everything. Now, this is important to tie it all back together. It is good and responsible. You should still plan out your life. Your actions still matter. Do the research on your future colleges, uh, study for school, still evangelize to your friends, and uh, be active in your faith. But even more important to remember that this all happens according to God's will, and that God actually uses our faith. He wants and desires Christians to be active in the world to carry out his will. God may have elected someone to be a believer, but he chooses to use the actions of Christians like you and me to carry out his will. So it's still important that Christians are zealous for good works because human action and God's sovereign will, it still comes together in a harmony that I cannot explain because I'm just not good enough to explain that. Now, what might this look like practically? Let me give some application for this. So the application, when the wise person remembers that everything that happens according to God's will is this, pursue your future goals with open hands, not a closed fist. When I say having an open hand, I mean that you want something, you're working towards something, but open hands before God, acknowledging that God, it's in your control. It's in your will. So God, I want to apply for this job. I hope I can get it. Uh, I know not a lot of people hire teenagers, but I want to work and support my family. 
and you work hard and you prepare for the interview, but you, with open hands, you say, you know, God, you know what, God, if I don't get this job, that's okay. It's in your will. Uh, maybe applying for a college for seniors. God, I really want to go to the certain UC. I want to go to an out-of-state school. And you say, God, I, I want these things. Can you help me um, be accepted? I really want to be here. But at the end of the day, it's an, I, I hold my plans with open hands. I trust you, God, with the results. The flip side is to have a closed fist. Like, God, I want this. God, I deserve this. You see the difference? One is an attitude of surrender. One is an attitude of demand. God, I will not let go of this. This needs to happen. And so pursue your future goals with open hands and not a closed fist. Second is to remain thankful. All your success and talents, they're from the hand of God. First Corinthians says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? For some of us, maybe we're naturally smart. It's just easy to do um, math or history. We just memorize things. We can uh, do well in tests. We don't really have to study. And maybe we get into a top college and we think, you know what? That was me. That was my brain. But the Bible says, no, your brain, that was a gift from God. The fact that you had the privilege of attending tutoring, that was a gift of God. The fact that you attend a good school in a good district, Walnut, Diamond Bar, Chino Hills, Roland Heights, you didn't control that. You couldn't control where you were born. That was a gift from God. And so God wants us to remain thankful in all of our success and talents. This is from the hand of God. Good question. Oh, yes. I have a little bit of irony for that. Like, imagine you get do wonderful, you keep praising God. And then once you reach college, you, hmm, it's just all me. It's just God. And then you instantly become stupid and your brain fails you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, a definitely a, uh, an outcome. And that's why that's what the fool does. So thanks, Aston, for that, for that thought. Uh, so remaining thankful. Uh, but also, what about the bad things in life? Well, let's remain hopeful. So even your failures, let's say you get an F on your math quiz. Let's say you feel like you don't have any friends. Let's say um, you lose a loved one. These uh, are tragedies in our life. But Romans 8.28 says that God uses all things for his glory and our good. Think of the Joseph story that his brother sold him into slavery but God in Genesis 15, 20 says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Or Joseph says that to his brothers. And so even the failures in our life, it's an opportunity to be hopeful. Maybe you get rejected from your top college. Maybe you feel like you don't have a lot of friends. Uh, maybe you only made the JV team and not the varsity team. Maybe you get B pluses and not uh, A pluses. God uses even our failures and disappointments to build our character, to sanctify us, to be more and more like him. I've shared this before, but I think about the time when in high school, I had to leave my friend group because they were getting into the wrong lifestyle, um, partying on the weekend, drugs, and that's all they talked about during lunchtime in the cafeteria. And I'm like, um, this is cool, but I feel really lost. And I feel left out and I just feel like this isn't right. It was more, I felt uncomfortable. I don't think I was spiritual enough to want to do the 
right thing and have the spiritual reasons. And so long story short, I eventually left that friend group and I would just hang out in the library <laughs> like a loser and do homework um, with people that I barely knew. And I'm like, oh, can I, can I sit here? Um, and I felt like, at least for school, I don't feel like I connected as well with my school friends. And that sense of loneliness, at least with, with my school friends, was very apparent. And I, I think I would often think like, God, is the rest of my life going to be like this? Is high school going to be like this? Because I, I hate high school right now. Um, I just want to have four periods so I can just leave after lunch. And I think when I look back now, I feel like God was developing my empathy for people who are lonely. When I'm at church now, when I see someone who is alone, I think to myself, you know, I've been there before. I knew what that was like in high school when it's so awkward when you don't know who to talk to. So you just look down in your book and you pretend you're busy. So no one thinks like you're actually like a loser. And I feel uh, like- Excuse me, excuse me, quickly. Uh, you're not a loser. Everyone's been there at least once in their life. <laughs> Thanks, Aston. Um, <laughs> and I think that really helped me empathize. And so maybe I couldn't see my failures for what it was, but God used maybe an evil, maybe a disappointment, and he sanctified my character to increase my empathy for people who, in a sense, were lonely like me. And I feel like my love for people like this, my heart really breaks when I see uh, students who are sitting by themselves, students who feel like they don't connect. My heart really goes out for, for you guys who, who do feel that way. So even the failures and disappointments, God can use that. And so lastly, I, I want to end with a question for you guys. Knowing all of this, how then will you live? You know the fool's way of living life and planning for the future, and you know the wise man's uh, way of planning for the future. How then will you live? And that's what James seems to conclude with. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. In a way, James is saying, I've said my part, the ball is in your court. It's your move. You know that fools, they ignore or reject God's authority in life. And you know that wise people, wise Christians, they submit to the will of God. They say, if the Lord wills, I will go to this college. If the Lord wills, I will join this sport. If the Lord wills, I will get this class in high school. How will you respond? Will you submit to the will and plan of God in your life? Or will you continue to be your own boss and to be the ultimate authority in your life? That is arrogance at its finest. Maybe you're here for the first time today and you have no idea what Christianity is all about. Maybe you're here today and you've been at church a lot of your life and you don't really take things as seriously. Maybe you always said, life is too busy. Like maybe I'll think about Christianity and I'll take it seriously when I'm less busy with school. Uh, maybe summer or winter break or something like that. But if anything, I hope today's message communicated a sense of urgency from the Bible. That life is short and one day you will meet your maker, Jesus Christ, and you will have to answer for your life. I want to show the slide again of the dot and the arrow. Our life is so short, guys. But isn't this crazy? Even though this life is so short compared to the infinite length of uh, the afterlife, everything that you do on your time on earth determines 
what happens in the afterlife. If you reject Christ on this small time on earth, this will determine how you spend eternal life. If you accept Christ and you live for him, this will determine where you will go, who you will be with in the afterlife. Yes, we will die, but we are souls. We are eternal beings. You and I will live forever. It's not a matter of how long. It's a matter of location, where you will exist after you die. Will you be with God in paradise and in heaven? Or will you be with Satan in hell in eternal torment? That is the big question that James does not want us uh, to forget. He doesn't want us uh, off the hook just yet. If you look at 2020, don't you see that life is fragile? Life is short. Who knows if we even have tomorrow? If you die today, do you actually, can you actually be sure that you'll be with God? Can you actually answer that question? And so why we gather as Unicoi, why we gather as a church is because we believe in the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be with him. That every person who sins, which is you and me, we are deserving of eternal condemnation, eternal separation from God, the wrath of God. But God in his love sent Jesus on earth 2,000 years ago to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we should have died. So therefore, as Christians who have seen this, how will we live? Will we trust in the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and change and surrender our lives to him? Or will we continue rejecting him? The ball truly is in our court. And the, the clock is ticking. We don't have forever. Uh, here's my big idea, and then we'll pray after this. Godly wisdom should move you to work towards future goals, hopes, and dreams while surrendering everything to the good and perfect will of God. So that's my question for you guys. How are you going to live? You've heard this sermon. If you die, there is no excuse. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the word of God. There is no excuse. Everyone in this room has a fair opportunity to reject or accept Jesus Christ. Life is short and fragile and unpredictable. Let's trust in God's will and give our life to him. Uh, let me pray right now. Lord, if as we are here in this sermon, God, we, we recognize the larger realities in life that life is short, even though this week felt so long, or maybe today felt so long for some of us. From your perspective, life is so short compared to eternity. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. God, I pray that you open every heart here to believe in the gospel, to believe in your son and his sacrifice on the cross, and to live in such a way that our lives are transformed. God, we don't have until we're 80 or 90 to decide. Tomorrow's not even guaranteed. Lord, give us a divine wisdom to see you as Lord and Savior and to submit our plans to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.